Hey, I'm Jess O'Cullaghan, and this is the Audiocraft Podcast. The session you're about to hear was inspired by the podcast Sisteria. It's a show from Melbourne about women and non-binary creatives and their experiences as creators and consumers of culture. They have a series of episodes called Arrogant Aunt, where guests answer questions with, quote, authority they just don't have. It's an exercise in defeating imposter syndrome, being arrogant in your advice giving, owning your expertise as a creative. In this special Audiocraft edition of Arrogant Aunt, you'll hear audience questions on creativity, motivation, and mastering that pod life balance. Your question-answering aunts are Chantelle Weatherall, the producer and presenter of Hey Auntie, a podcast that shares fireside chats with black women, femmes, and non-binary siblings who've been there. Christina Choi, a senior producer on Spotify's creative development team in New York City. She's part of the planning committee of Spotify's Sound Up podcast program. And Stephanie Van Schilt, the host and producer of Sisteria. Thanks, everyone. Um, so welcome to the Arrogant Aunt panel at Audiocraft. It's pretty cool to be doing this as a host and producer of Sisteria, the podcast that I run. My um, colleagues aren't here, so suck it, guys. It's all on me. Uh, also, our two wonderful panellists will try and answer some questions that we've been lucky enough to have been sent in by Audiocraft um, audiences, by Haya Andiel's audience, by Sisteria's audience. So we've got a couple of voice memos. But then we're also going to take questions from you. So you might note that there will be a couple of mics around. If you do have a question, chuck your hand up in advance and make sure you're talking to the microphone because we are recording today. Um, So hopefully we'll be able to offer some sage advice that you can at least glean something from our experience as we navigate our way through the questions. So as we just said, Arrogant Aunt is the segment on Sisteria where we answer questions with... An authority we just don't have. So we essentially pretend that we have all this power, but really we're struggling as well. Um, so we're going to play a little sample from that for you. So here it is. The segment where we answer questions Arrogant from you. Segment our where we answer questions with an authority that we just don't have. I felt pretty confident about this. Well, I guess it do depends. I? <laughs> we have a question from Anonymous who said that I want to start making things, but I'm afraid that I'm not really good at it. So how do I start? Yeah, there's always going to be pain and agony in creating something because it's hard work. But then often there's that really beautiful payoff at the end. We all have this kind of imposter syndrome element running through, but it doesn't mean you can't have confidence to follow your dreams. Creating boundaries is really important. <laughs> um, no, totally. But totally actually is, it is. Yeah. Is it okay to like memes, even if some of them are just fucked garbage? <laughs> so we'll start with a question from a voice memo. So let's start with this one. I have a question. I wondered whether you had any advice for me. I'm really good at following through on other people's ideas and bringing them to fruition and making sure you know, that everything goes well with another person's idea. I work really hard and I'm really happy with the kind of work that I do. But when it comes to something that's my own idea or when it comes to prioritising time for me to think of an idea in the first place, I'm really bad at doing that. Like I wouldn't even know what that looked like or where to start or, I mean, I don't even, I always joke that I don't have any good ideas, but I 
suspect it's because I don't give myself a chance to think of ideas. And then when I do think of little baby ideas, I sort of dismiss them before I give myself time to make them good. I wondered whether you had any advice about how to apply my skills to my own (laughs) ideas or how to prioritise my energy and time for myself sometimes as well. Who wants to start? (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) Okay. um, Listening to that, I uh, I heard a groan of recognition in the room. Because I think that it's a really familiar feeling. And I know, especially as a a woman, um, I used to pride myself, if I'm very honest, on my ability to collaborate. I used to be like, I'm such a team player. Check me out. It's my strength. (laughs) But actually, if I'm really honest with you guys, I think I was just playing safe. Because it's actually, uh, the rewards are great for being part of a winning team, but you're not the person taking the risk. Because as much as you're giving, you're giving your time and your contribution is really important. And I still love collaborating with people. What I learned about myself was that the reason I prioritized doing that was because I felt safe in that space. There was no risk and there was no real vulnerability because I was never going, this is important to me. I want it to exist. And that's the reason why it should. So I would say that um, the the thing that I had to get over uh, was that. And what helped me to do that in the last sort of 12 months to make Hey Auntie was actually just getting to a point where I thought I cared more about the idea than about looking stupid at first. <laughs> and I, and I, I personally know that I cringe when I listen to some of my first episodes, but the idea was more important than my need to play it safe. And so you, you all have that one idea that has stayed with you because it's the most important, the most pressing one. And I'd say ride that idea through the fear of uh, putting yourself first and also maybe be okay with just doing it because you want to. It doesn't have to be changing the world, doesn't have to be for feminism, for equal rights, for climate change. Sometimes it's okay to just go, I'm going to take up some space and make something because I really love this idea. That's great. I I, I was going to say, Christina, (laughs) though, I think that, so Chantel just talked about, hey, Annie, I obviously have Sisteria. Your your job is facilitating other people's creative careers. That's okay as well, right? So I think that there is also this impetus that it's like, oh, I, I have to create something for me. You can also facilitate other people's work and that is kind of a creative goal in itself, right? Yeah, and um, I think one of the great things about working at Spotify and working on our team is like really trying to help other people create their projects. So the one of the really amazing things, obviously you heard from the Sound Up folks the last session, um, it's just kind of like allowing people to pursue what they want to do and follow their dreams, right? Because a lot of it is like a lot of people have doubt in their own ideas and we're providing them with the tools and the confidence. And for me, that 
um, being able to provide that for others, it's just been so rewarding. And I've been learning a lot um, about myself and, you know, just um, the effects of it all. So it's been a very um, rewarding um, experience. So, yeah. What advice do you give those people about finding time in their own life to create things? I mean, you know, I wish I I had like advice, like better advice, because I feel like that's something that personally for me, I have, I've, I've been dealing with that too. I feel like this is going to be a huge like therapy session for me actually, being on this panel. So there's like a lot of, a lot of things of to think about. All of us. Um, but I think at a certain point it's, um, you know, if you have an idea and you want to pursue it, you just have to reach a point where you just have to do it. I know that sounds, I don't know if that's like real good advice, but I just feel like you reach a point where you just, you realize like you just need to do it. So, Chantel, are you an overthinker? No judgment. <laughs> are you overthinking the response to this question right now? That is a personal attack <laughs> because Steph is my friend and she knows the answer is yes. Um, so, uh, absolutely, absolutely. I'm an overthinker. Um, I am, uh, before I started Hey Auntie podcast, I had an idea that I was going to, I, I was like, there's all these problems, issues, questions that I have that I think are common to other people. And I think that we're looking for complicated answers to those questions when actually there are things that could answer those questions through our cultures or through our existing networks if we were connected to them. So that was the impetus behind Hey Auntie. But a, a year before, when I had the initial idea, I was like, okay, I need to go and do postgraduate study um, <laughs> in, in order so I can be qualified to speak about culture. So I, I literally did that. I literally signed up to do, um, I was going to become a, a psychological anthropologist and then I'd have a master's and then I'd be allowed to speak then I'd be qualified to speak. Um, and the University of Melbourne has $12,000 of my money um, <laughs> for the period of one term that it took me to go, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, as far as bars of overthinking go, if you're ashamed of your overthinking, until you've spent $12,000 on tuition for nothing... You're doing great. You've got a degree in overthinking. Congratulations. Mate, I've got a correspondence course like on offer. It's 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 my speciality. But I I I speak in a lot of proverbs. It's really naff, I know. But they're they're handy. And one that I was speaking, I was actually speaking with one of the awesome guys from Sound Up earlier about being perfectionists. And I said, uh, perfectionism is just fear in fancy shoes. <laughs> and when someone first said that to me, I kind of clutched my pearls and my spreadsheet and my PowerPoint. And I was like, <laughs> how dare you? Um, but then I had to go, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I think that actually segues perfectly into our next voice memo. But before I do play it, I did want to uh, try and lure the questions out from the audience. We've got a wonderful, wonderful pair of audio checker headphones to give away to the best question today. So you thought the stickers were the only thing you were getting for free? Chuck those hands up. And these two ladies here will judge you accordingly. But gently. In terms of who has the best question, not about like 
your person. <laughs> so our next voice memo question is from Michelle, who hopefully didn't want to remain anonymous. <laughs> Hi there, aunts. It's Michelle Ransom Hughes here from the podcast Oh My Dog. Uh, I'd love to know what you all think about self-critique because it's extremely hard to assess something you're making on your own. So can you share the processes that you each put in place to look back over what you've made? How do you hold your show accountable to your own standards without allowing self-judgment to destroy your will to live? Thanks so much. Yeah, self-critique, that's a dangerous thing, right? Um, I feel like I, I mean, we talked about, you mentioned this earlier, um, perfectionism is like being, I feel like I have had to deal with this a lot is that, you know, the way I see myself, I, you know, I definitely have imposter syndrome because I feel like I am so self-critical and so um, judgmental to my own self. So the things I have to do is, Again, I have to just force myself out of it because I sense it right away when I'm feeling that way. Um, I just have to pull myself out. So, again, I don't even know if, like how like if, if that's even advice. Like just you just have to like pull yourself out of it when you realize it. But that's something that I am um, working through right now, and I feel like that's something that I'm just going to work through my entire life. So it's something that I have to deal with now, right? Um, so yeah, that helps. <laughs> Totally uh, can relate. Um, I, I I think that there is a really beautiful technical question in there too, because I think all of us want to be better. And if you want to be better, you need to make space for a certain amount of criticism, um, uh, constructive criticism for your growth. But I personally don't know whether you are the best custodian to be giving that criticism because you are also personally very closely acquainted with all of your anxieties and worst fears about yourself. And so unfortunately, I, I don't know how to bring one thing to the party without inviting the others. So what I like to do myself is I have, um, I've been very blessed that I have beautiful people like this lovely lady here and other wonderful trusted people in audio land. And we have formed a close circle. My wonderful producer who's in the room, my assistant producer, uh, my friends who are also audio makers and friends who aren't audio makers, but who are also creatives who I trust, who understand my vision, understand my purpose and will tell me very nice too long, um, which is basically my number one criticism I get for all things. Um, and I bounce things to them and then I trust their judgment um, and that's about designing a, a feedback process into your workflow. So in a really boring technical answer, design a feedback process into your workflow where you have people that you trust who are briefed on exactly what you intend and then get that feedback. And I think through doing that, I've actually taught myself to have a much more objective view of my own work but because they always have a much more sympathetic and well-rounded view of what I've made than I do. I think it's about as well, um, interestingly, that question came from oh, my dog host. 
Um, people tell you how to treat yourself how you would treat your friends, right? So my inner monologue is a nasty-ass bitch to me, like so mean. And that perfectionist voice is very, very strong. And, you know, that truism of treat treat yourself like you treat your friends, would you talk to your friends that way, would you think about them that way, is something I've tried and it's kind of like, yeah, I do it. But I've taken it a step further and it's treat myself how I treat my dogs. <laughs> I fucking love those guys so much. I would do everything for them. I get up every day to feed them. I walk them. I also need food and exercise. My brain needs food and exercise. Talk to them the way I talk to them. Talk to myself that way. I am also very beautiful and have a lovely coat. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just, I think, also about stopping that kind of, because perfectionism so quickly spirals into just, like, negativity. Like, that's that's it. They're very close siblings, I think. Do we have a question from the audience in the running for headphones? If you're not good at self-promotion, how do you go about building an audience? I think I'll, like, if you're not good at it, maybe getting someone, right? If you're working on the, a podcast independently, find someone that's good at it, right? Find a marketer. Maybe you could ask a friend. I don't know. You could ask around. It, You know, you can see if you can reach out to your network and see to get other people to help you with that. Um, I always think that's a great way. You know, we all have a great network here. You guys are here at this event. Talk to people. See how they figure out, like, listen to your other, uh, if you have a favorite podcast, figure out ways how they're promoting, right? Copy that. Um, I feel like you can figure out ways of doing that by using other resources. I should have also said, um, please introduce yourself if you want to and give your podcast a plug. So do you want to, do you have a podcast to promote on this microphone here? My name's Ali. I've got an episode in the background called Mum's Group, but it's going to be maybe a month or so, hopefully, before I publish it. That's okay. You could have just seen like, I'm Ali. I'm here to promote my podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Ali. Yeah. Ali, I think uh, I echo those sentiments and I think you don't have to be good at everything. I think there's this idea that if you make podcasts, you're supposed to be good at all of the things. And I'm happy that in season one, I learned how to do all of the things, but I'm even happier than in season two, I don't have to do all of the things. And I think my listeners will be very happy too when they hear the difference, because now I have, you know, I have someone helping me on my socials, so they look good. (laughs) I have somebody who's helping me to do the sort of more technical side of producing. It sounds delish. If you are wonderful, if you've got a great idea, and maybe you're great at bringing those people together and getting that angle on the story that no one else is getting, that's good enough. You don't have to be a social media influencer. I think that feeds into the next question, which I'll read out from Faz, who asks, what's a good way of setting roles and responsibilities within a small team at the start of a project? Then how do you stick to those roles? So I'm going to not make eye contact with my producer or my assistant producer in the room. They're staring who at will, you. Who will be like, yeah, how? <laughs> um, because I am really bad at delegating because I'm just used to being like a little scrapper. I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to work till 3 a.m. and get this done somehow. Um, and that doesn't really work when you're working with a team. So I think <laughs> pick people you trust. And then once you've picked them, really trust them, which means letting go of the reins. You need to be really clear about what you're doing 
And you need to really actually invest some upfront time in uh, documenting what you need done. Um, And then you need to let it go and let those people deliver those things in the way that they see fit. So for instance, you know, small podcast, been going for one year. Hey, auntie, small podcast, big dreams. Um, So I was like, what do I need? I need to make it sound a heck of a lot better. So that means I need somebody who isn't just working out how to produce, somebody who's all over that. Um, I need to make my socials great. I need to reach people. I need, you know, somebody who's potentially going to help me doing some videos and photos for promo. And then I found people that I trusted in each of those headings. And I made sure that um, we were aligned with what I was doing with the podcast. And then more and more, I'm learning to actually just, once I've given them the task to do, let them do it their way. And then just be be okay with the fact that nothing that you delegate to somebody is going to look exactly as it would if you'd done it yourself. And that's why you gave it to them. And so you need to just really let go of that. So um, that was very specific. And I think I'm speaking just to myself, but I hope it resonates <laughs> with some people in the room. Christina, you're a part of the Sound Up committee, right, which is working with a group of people and you're also in a leadership role. How, how did you navigate that just generally? I think the biggest thing working as a team is communication, right? Because if you're not upfront from the very beginning about expectations and how you want your team to, you know, rally together, it's going to cause issues. So I think upfront, you know, lay everything out, communication and trust, those are two keys. And you just have to be honest with each other. You can't let, you know, when you work in a corporate environment, you know, it's hard. You deal with personalities and you'll let some things go, but you really can't because if you do that, then it's just going to continue and it's just going to multiply and get even bigger. So it's uncomfortable. This is something that uh, my manager tells me, like, I need to be the bad guy or not the bad person, but you just need to be honest and be willing to... um, you know, face those challenges up front. I think you made such an important point there about uh, being straight up and being the bad guy sometimes because um, I made Hey Auntie because I'm a nurturery type person, but you actually let everyone down when you're not a straight shooter. So I've learned to be much clearer about my expectations and I want people who will speak to me honestly too. And so... You need to create that too. So a lot of people think podcasting is just like a hobby. So it has to be all like, oh, lol. But, you know, your time is your time is valuable and anything you're dedicating your time to, you should approach with some level of seriousness, I think. Um, and so bearing that in mind, be honest with your collaborators. Don't let it become like that uni group project. <laughs> You know, resentment just builds up. (laughs) On a more more practical level, how do you engage with your teams? Is it face-to-face? Is it email? Is it Skype? Like what are the practical ways in which you engage them? I'm really lucky that my team are, so we're we're still very small. Um, We're not generating any revenue. So we need to run a very lean operation. 
So we use a lot of uh, collaboration tools. So we have a Google Drive, a Trello board, and then we also use a lot of um, Skype calls for our meetings. So um, it means that the FaceTime required is minimal and it means we can collaborate on the go a lot better. We use all those things at Spotify. (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing something right. We do Google Hangouts, but yes. A question from the audience. Please introduce yourself and if you have a podcast. Hi, my name's Claire. Um, I have an idea in my head, not a podcast yet. Um, But the description of the session talked about, like mentioned the pod life balance, and I'm really interested to hear for people who have a creative idea and are creatives at home and at work and how do you kind of maintain a balance in your life where your hobby doesn't, you know, a podcast can start out as a hobby and then build into your work. How do you keep it from not invading your life and burning out? (laughs) Boundaries. And that's the biggest thing I learned the past two years because um, there's a lot going on at Spotify. Um, We're producing stuff. We're doing this sound up program. It's like a global thing. So it's a lot. It's a lot. It's been kind of draining. I'm not going to lie. But it's just, you know, realizing you have to set your boundaries and also we always, our team always talks about this. We're not curing cancer. Like we're doing great things, but at the end of the day, a job is a job and you have your own life, your personal life. So for me, you know, I think this uh, probably the beginning of this year, I decided, Hey, like there needs to be a change because I'm just, this isn't, this isn't healthy. So for me, um, I have a hobby. I play cello. So, you know, I've always been in an orchestra, but I decided, Hey, you know what? This is a passion of mine. And it, release my stress. I'm going to just really focus on this. So I go home and I practice. Um, I think my college professor would be really proud of me because I actually <laughs> practice more now as an, like a grown up or like a not student. So um, yeah, it's like um, having the boundaries and like pursuing other things outside, right? Again, we're not curing cancer. So Can I just piggyback yeah. on that question? Because <laughs> I'm interested in, so you studied music. Yes, I studied music. And how did you, because I'm pretty sure there'll be people in this room being like, well, Spotify, senior producer, that's awesome. How did you, how did you make your way there? Um, so I have a interesting background. Um, I, my first, uh, when I first started working, I worked at the Juilliard School. So I ran a pre-college music program there and I did that for three years. Um, I decided that, hey, nonprofit life, living in New York City, it just doesn't work. Like, you can't afford anything. So um, I made an active decision to move out of nonprofit. I loved what I did, but it was just not feasible at that point for me. Um, I applied to Spotify because love the app, love music. I applied out of nowhere, and it just, like, happened randomly. Um, so I started on the business side of things, business development team, and then as our um, company decided to focus on podcast, I moved over because I've been always been an avid podcast fan. I love NPR, love public radio. It's just my thing. So love This American Life. This is when Serial was, uh, just um, came out, and there was so much passion around it. And um, yeah, so I applied for a role. And then from there, I did um, partnership management. So I managed all of our network. So I worked with NPR, WNYC, all the big podcasters. And then as our company evolved again, our team evolved, we started doing original content. And I had this amazing opportunity to produce. And, you know, that's why I'm here. So, yeah. So that's your full-time job. Chantel, is Hey Auntie your full-time job? Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's more 
more complicated question than you might at first think. So uh, Hey Auntie certainly was not my full-time job when I started it. Um, I started it, I had a full-time day job, I worked in not-for-profit, so I was working, you know, the 1.5 full-time day job of not-for-profit, and then also making Hey Auntie. Um, And I didn't have boundaries because it was my passion, and that boundaries thing is so important. I think if it isn't your day job, it's even more important to have boundaries because I'm not dissing my day job. Don't don't uh, look on my LinkedIn and think she worked for the Red Cross and she's dissing them. Um, I love I loved it, but the podcast was adding something to my life that I really needed. And because of that, it was really easy to get sucked into doing more and more and more to the point where I was exhausting myself and my partner and other people in my life were like, you look awful. (laughs) (laughs) And so having boundaries around something that is a passion project is even more important. And I actually thought, you know what, Uh, a year on, I now approach it with the same professional approach as I would a project that somebody else gave me at work. And so I go, how long, you know, how many hours are there in a day? How many days are there in a week? Sounds rudimentary, but I plan it and I plan it around my life and around the other things I have to do. And it's funny because I now have, um, I'm part of a three-month creative business accelerator. So Hey Auntie is my full-time job for the next four weeks or so, um, because I'm at the end of it. And I thought, well, I'm going to have so much time. Um, Actually, these things will take up as much time as you have to give them. So I'm more disciplined now than than I was before, because you must plan it. When you don't have a a boss or a manager or an external organizational structure to give you structure, you are responsible for giving that structure for yourself. And those structures don't exist because the man is a drag. He is a drag. But um, (laughs) those structures exist because that is how you set something up to succeed. And if you love this, don't you want to set it up to succeed? Do that for yourself. You owe it to yourself. Do we have another question from the audience? Um, I'm really interested in vulnerability and the the podcast that you listen to that you're like, wow, um, that's very brave, but I don't know if I would want to admit all that stuff if that was me. Um, And I was interested to know if there's been a time in your own podcast where you feel like you've overshared something or you've been dealing with somebody who wants to overshare or somebody you've pulled back or somebody you've really encouraged in, in that vulnerability in terms of their story. Love that question. Thank you. Um, I, so every podcast is different. For me, uh, vulnerability is a central principle and an intention of what I'm designing into my podcast. I made my podcast because I love um, black culture and there is just so much amazing black culture out there. But I also felt quite alienated by a lot of it because a lot of the identities that were suggested to me involved a level of fierceness that I couldn't personally embody. I was like, I was like, yeah. Um, And so I created my podcast because I wanted to create a space um, for black women to meet each other and be vulnerable in public 
Because I think being vulnerable in public is a really important thing. And it's a thing that's important for the people themselves, but it's important for the wider society. Um, I, I got the pleasure of seeing uh, Hannah Gatsby's new show, Douglas, recently. If you haven't seen it yet, it's just as good, guys. It's just as good. Um, and one thing that she says at a pivotal point was as she rose to this incredible fame through making Nanette, which was, wow, what an act of vulnerability, all of a sudden she had so much power and she was like, what do I do for my second show? Because literally I could just get on the stage and be like, I hate this, I hate that person. Because uh, she's got so much power now, right? She's got power to spend. And so she made the decision that, it was important for her to be even more vulnerable because when you have power, it's really important that you are vulnerable because you've got to take one for the team and that's how you are of service. And I, I, I give that example because in my own small way, what I'm trying to do with my podcast is to be really vulnerable. And it's part of my practice that I think about, okay, if I'm making a space for vulnerability, what does that need to look and feel like? What does my actual practice need to look like to support that? Because you can't just be like, show me all of your dirty laundry. Thanks, bye. <laughs> um, and so what I, what I say is um, I engage in information exchange, not information extraction. And that is really important distinction, especially because I'm creating a space for people of color, because a lot of us, when we do get a platform, it's like the ticket to ride, the price of that ticket is that you give them everything. You give them your trauma and they consume it. And then you're left kind of feeling very vulnerable. And I don't necessarily know if the impact of those stories is as strong as it would be if there was actually a meeting of minds. So when a guest comes on my show, I don't ask any question to them that I'm not prepared to answer myself. Um, and so we're going on a ride together. Um, I also ensure that I always share the questions in advance. Um, I always have a pre-call with my guest and we always talk about no-go zones because the beauty of making people comfortable is that they start to flow. And if you're doing well, they'll probably go places where they don't where, beyond what they want to share. So you need then to take some editorial responsibility and the responsibility of a producer and step out of, you're not just having a chat, you're actually producing and publishing someone's story and that carries responsibility. So I, for instance, I've interviewed people in the course of the last season and they've said, for me personally, anything around uh, sexual assault is very triggering and I don't want to go there. But then I've had a conversation with them when they felt so comfortable and it was natural to them that they veered into speaking about that part of their story. And so it's my job to circle back round with them afterwards when I'm before I do the edit and say, he shared something really powerful when we were talking about this. About this, Are you comfy with that staying in? Do you want to hear what it sounds like? How does that feel? Um, I also tell them, this is my lis listener profile as far as I know it. Um, I just try and make sure that I... I step out of it because I step into it with them, but then I step out of it and take my role and my responsibility. So that's how I navigate vulnerability. Yeah, I think it's a an interesting kind of to think about it as an interviewer and as a, like a technique 
for people, but obviously like be very sensitive with it. That said, as a host as well, I'm quite open. Recently, we did an episode where I was talking about going off medication I was on for anxiety and my producer contacted me and was like, hey, do you want me to get rid of that? I don't know. And I was like, no, we're asking our our guests to be honest. I'm going to be just as honest. There's no point in changing that if that was part of the conversation. And I got contacted by more people who I haven't heard from for so long to see how I was going with it than ever before. So I think it's also about listenership. So if you're vulnerable, your listener will identify themselves. And I wonder, Christina, whether that's something that you encourage in the people who you are helping cultivate stories and stuff that like as a theme and a concept, being vulnerable is important. Yeah, I think it's super important. It's, you know, being vulnerable is being authentic as well. So we really, you know, I think authenticity is super important in the ideas that we look at. And it is definitely something that we encourage everyone to do. Do we have another question from the audience just down the front? Sorry, could I just round out that one to say I've just yeah. I've just developed my my process a little bit more with the help of my producer and now we end every episode with the same question we always ask what sort of auntie are you because it's called hey auntie and it's a it's a consistent upbeat question and that is an interviewing technique um, to take responsibility again for bringing that person out of the vulnerable place and back into a predictable common ground so that when when we separate from each other you know so if you take someone there you need to bring them back um, hi, I'm Rudy. I am the producer of RN Away and RN Word Up. Um, hey, and I wanted to ask you guys about sort of navigating that balance between what your intended audience is and what your actual audience is, because they're not necessarily the same thing. So <laughs> I had a lot of, in my overthinking period, I spent a lot of time thinking about whether I would explicitly say that Hey Auntie was a conversation between black women. So I set the scene in episode one by being interviewed myself by a friend who's a wonderful journalist. So I'm able to sort of set the terms of engagement so everyone knows what they're dealing with with Hey Auntie. And I say, Hey Auntie is a conversation between sisters. Um, but anybody, uh, we centre the voice of the black woman in Australia, but anybody who is comfortable with that is very welcome to sit with us. Now, I was worried, if I'm really honest, that people would go, how dare you? That's reverse racism, et cetera, et cetera. But I was really clear on my purpose. It wasn't just a, a an act of wielding a little bit of power. It was an intentional act designed to access the storytelling that I thought was missing in the landscape. So there's a very different conversation that happens within community when you create the safety of saying, only speak to me. As a person who has assumed best intentions, uh, a person who uh, understands a lot of the things, you don't have to explain yourself. Um, I say in that first episode, there will be no time spent explaining any terminology to people who don't understand it. There will be no time spent convincing you that anything that this person is alluding to exists. Not, well, partly because it was fun to say that for once as a black woman, to be honest, to have that sovereignty of story and say, in this space, I will not explain myself. Um, 
But secondly, because what a waste of energy and airtime, right? I don't think any of my listeners, whether they identify as black women or non-binary femme or not, a beautiful listener who I spoke with, um, I, I called 30 of my listeners up randomly from uh, Instagram. I was like, pick Instagram people, 30 people who've liked things and called them. And the most beautiful thing I can say is that every single demographic group you can imagine was represented in there and every single person got it. They got every single part of my intention and they get, they had space for it. If you underestimate the audience, then you will get the audience that you expect. But if you make the piece of work that is authentic and true to your intention, your audience will show itself, as Steph said. And so I had white northern gay men saying, it's so refreshing to hear something where someone's not dumbing themselves down for me, where someone's not performing their race for me, where someone's not stopping to explain for me, because I'm actually interested in hearing your story said your way. Um, and so, yeah, I actually don't, it's going to sound wild, like rock and roll, but I don't, I don't think about anyone except for my intended audience because that authenticity is what makes it more relatable to everyone. Christina, is that the advice that you'd give to people developing podcasts? Yeah, I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna tell them to listen to this uh, recording. So you can like, <laughs> what Chantel said. Yeah, again, authenticity. That's all I'll say. It's key. Yeah. And one last question. Hi, I'm Mia. Um, you spoke earlier about the importance of finding other people who are really talented and trusting them and empowering them to do the work that they're really good at doing. So I had a creative project last year and I did just that. And I was thrilled at the result, but the process was very difficult because as the people around me were doing their brilliant work and I was doing everything I could to empower them, I felt myself getting a little bit swallowed up and smaller in the process. And I found it hard to step up and say, I'm not sure this is all going in the direction that I intended it or what I think is in my mind. And I felt like... <laughs> I felt like through empowering them, I'd sort of disempowered myself. And I am curious to know the best way to uh, remain in that quote-unquote boss role while continuing to empower the people around you and trust them. Is that possible? <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't mean to like pour cold water on it, but I don't, personally, I don't know if it's possible. I think that I think that sometimes I think we can do ourselves a disservice by trying to wear all the hats or to have it all. And I think sometimes you have to just go, like there are things I, I write. And when I write, I go into my writing cave with my writing pajamas and my writing snacks, and I indulge in just being, I'm creative, rah, my ideas all the rah and just make it and it's lovely and that's beautiful and that suits that process and then it, I send it to my editor whatever but there are other things that are by nature collaborative activities and you you just got to accept the nature of a thing sometimes and the nature of a collaborative activity is you need to find a way to reconcile your understanding of the importance of your role or the importance of the thing that doesn't 
that also allows space for the fact that you're not going to feel that I'm a writer in a cave feeling when you're doing the collaborative activity. As long as the people are res- are respectful and you are still on track to what you guys have agreed is your, you know, ultimate aim, you've got to let go of those reins somewhat because everybody needs to be getting fulfilled in the project, right? And also, don't forget, if they are doing the awesome things that you'd ask them to do, you ask them to do that. You helped them do that. You helped them get there to be doing something that they feel good about. So you should feel good about that for one minute. So, like, hold that in as well. Christina, did you have anything about I think the important thing would be, like, obviously you, you know, this is the team that you, you know, you created, right? Like, you hired folks to be on your team. I would just say maybe... In the beginning, you had a mission, right? You had a goal, right, for your project. I would always go back to that. If you feel like things aren't going in the direction that you had envisioned, it may be just, hey, getting everyone together and say, hey, what was the initial mission? What was the goal of this project? And just kind of talking through and just kind of resetting as you go along, right? I think that's all we've got time for. If there are any leftover questions, send them to sisteriapodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on social medias because we do answer questions with an authority. We just don't have every single episode (laughs) funding for season three pending. Also, if you want to fund us, let us know. Right. Thank you, Steph, Chantel and Christina. I'm feeling very nourished from this group therapy session. (laughs) Thank you. That was Stephanie Van Schilt, Chantelle Weatherall and Christina Choi. Thanks to Podcast One Australia and Andrew Renfrew for recording this session. The AudioCraft podcast is produced and mixed by Ryan Pemberton. The music is produced by James Milsom. If you haven't already, subscribe to the AudioCraft podcast. New episodes from 2019's festival will appear in your feed every week and there's a whole back catalogue of audio advice for you to explore. If you liked this session, I reckon you'll enjoy this conversation between Sophie Harper and Megan Tan from 2017. It's called Pod Life Balance, and it's all about balancing real life with personal memoir podcast making. And so basically what happens is I'm going about my day, da 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 Sophie and I are hanging out, having coffee. I whip out my recorder because I'm like, wow, maybe we should use this on the podcast. We start talking. We go back to the editing room. And when we're editing, it's like we're looking at me, myself, as a character. Keep in touch. Sign up for our newsletter at audiocraft.com.au and find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We're at AudioCraftFest. Fest.